Well, hello again. If you want to follow along with where we're going to be at this morning, we're going to be primarily in Acts chapter 21 this morning. We're going to be looking at, once again, this guy named Paul. Um, before we, we go on, let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a plan for like a day or for a week or whatever, and then found like a monkey wrench was just thrown in and your plans were thrown out the windows, right? Like we, we've all had those experiences. I faced that a little bit this week, so if you know anything about me, I like to, to plan things out, and, and I like it when a plan comes together. I'm kind of type A like that, and so I had a plan for my week, and I knew of all the meetings I was going to do, all the different projects and assignments I needed to finish, and then um, my daughter got sick, um, and I know you're probably thinking, no surprise there, she's sick all the time. I get it. Um, yeah, I know. That's, that's how I've been feeling at the very least. And it's that sickness, that virus that seems to be going around. So when that happened, my plans were thrown out the window. And so I got to spend a few days just me and Harper um, chilling out the house. We did the thing that, you know, you always do when someone's sick. You curl up on the couch, you have your medicine, you take some naps, and you, you throw on your favorite movies, right? Well, my daughter is only seven months old, so she's too young to have favorite movies, which meant I got to watch my favorite movies and just relax, Right. And so I watched the, the Lord of the Rings, the extended editions, you know, the four and five hour long movies that I absolutely love, that my wife never gets to let me watch because uh, she doesn't like Lord of the Rings, which I didn't think was allowed if you say you also love Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's the 11th commandment, thou must love Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So uh, please pray for my wife. Um, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Pray for me because we're going to have a fun conversation, I'm sure, on the way home. <laughs> So the plan didn't come together like I wanted, but I'm glad it went the way it did because I got to spend some awesome time with my daughter who's awesome to hang out with um, and things like that. And, and even though the plan didn't go the way I wanted it, God had a different plan in mind of just getting me some bonding time with my daughter that I really appreciated. And I say all this because maybe, maybe you're a planner, like maybe you're type A like me and, and you like to plan. And, and I say this because I understand the pain it feels when a plan does not come together, right? So you're safe here. You're, you're in good company. And if you're one of those, you don't plan anything in your life. You just take life, you know, one day at a time, uh, living by, you know, the seat of your pants kind of deal. Um, you, you, well, let me go and say, you're welcome here. I love you here too. And maybe you should teach a class to the rest of us on how you live so relaxed, okay? Um, but you know what's really enjoyable is even when our plans don't come together, we can look in Scripture and we see that Jesus is a planner and he's unstoppable. And he's got a very clear plan on how he wants to grow his kingdom. And it's encouraging to look at that nothing's going to stop this Jesus, Right? Because he has in mind this, this crazy plan where he, he died on the cross, he rose again, and then he looks at his disciples and he's like, okay, I've started this church movement and I'm entrusting the keys and the future of it to you. Well, like, that's, that's amazing. But he doesn't just leave them to figure it out on their own. I mean, this is a Jesus. He has a plan in mind. And he tells them how he's going to be with them, how he's going to equip them, how he wants them to move out and share the good news. I mean, he's, let me just go ahead and read what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this plan that he kind of lays out for his disciples, where he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. All right, so we're looking very clearly at seeing that Jesus is a planner, that he has this big plan, and we know that, right? Like we like to say all the time, you know, Jesus has a plan for your life. Well, what's encouraging to see in this is that Jesus not only has a plan for your life, 
Jesus has a plan in mind for his church and where his church is going, right? And so he lays out this plan. He's like, guys, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to equip you to do this. And I want you to spread out to the ends of the earth to tell the world that now sins can be forgiven. Now people can come and be part of the family of God. All people, whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. Everyone's now welcome to come and surrender to God and live under his loving reign and rule for their life. And so he sends them out to do this. And we kind of looked at one guy in particular that God used to kind of spark and move his kingdom forward last week when we looked at a guy named Paul. Now Paul, when we were introduced to him, was a first name Saul, and he was kind of a villain. He went around hunting down Christians. But then he has this radical encounter with God that completely changes his life. And so he goes from one moment hunting down churches and Christians and burning churches to the ground, dragging Christians away in chains, to the very next moment he's planting churches and he's spreading the good news about Jesus and he's converting all these people to Christianity. It's this very exciting story. But we also saw that it was uncomfortable, right? Like he's put in some very difficult situations, the kind of situations where we're like, I don't want anything to do with that, Right? But he steps into these moments willingly because he fully believed that God was doing something through his own suffering to further the kingdom of God. Because he understood that sometimes, in order for God's gospel to reach the ends of the earth, it has to move sometimes through the suffering of its carriers, right? Which is really encouraging when we go through some really painful times. That God doesn't let anything go to waste. And so he allows Paul to go through this. And Paul, Paul's a type A kind of guy. He has his plan. His dream is he wants to go to Rome because he really wants to preach there because Rome was the capital of the empire. It was the center of the world. And he thought, man, if I can get into Rome, if I can plant churches there, it would change in time the culture of Rome. And if we can change the, the center, the capital, it'll spread out and it'll change the whole empire. So he has this big dream to go to Rome. But it doesn't happen in the way he wants it to go. Like he's imagining coming in like he always does and and, and gathering crowds together and preaching and doing all these exciting things. But God has something else in mind and it comes at a crossroads moment for Paul. The story begins where Paul is, he's been going around gathering up money from all these other churches collecting offerings because Jerusalem was hit with this famine. And the church in Jerusalem, all the Christians there, they're starving. They're hungry. And Paul has it on his heart. He's like, I want to go to Rome, but I need to first help my brothers and sisters who are suffering. So he collects this big offering, and he comes to, to, he starts heading towards Jerusalem. He has his heart to to save uh, them, to help them. And then this moment comes where this guy named Agabus comes up to to Paul. And he says this to uh, Paul, and it's in chapter 21 where we're going to be primarily looking at today where he comes up to Paul and he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, I know that sounds really weird. I mean, it'd be weird, right, if someone came up to you and was like, hey, can I borrow your belt? Yeah, I just want to tie up my hands and I'm going to tell you, this is how you're going to be treated. But think about it. They don't have PowerPoint. They don't have laser pointers and media and stuff like that, all right? We have all these ways of communicating messages. For him, Agabus, God has laid a message on his heart that he wants to communicate to Paul. And he's like, how can I communicate it in such a way that Paul will very clearly get the message that God has laid on my heart to share with him? 
He's like, I know. I'm going to tie myself up in front of Paul, and then he'll see, man, you're going to be treated just like this. Now, notice, God's not telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. He's merely presenting to him. He's like, if you continue down this path, this is what you're going to have to face. And if you think about it, it's a crossroads moment for Paul. Because everyone around him is like, Paul, that's too dangerous. Don't go there. We know how the Jews in Jerusalem act. I mean, they killed Jesus. They killed Stephen. That's a bad place. You don't want to go there, Paul. And he's at a crossroads moment. Because he can listen to that and continue doing what he's always been doing. Going from town to town, planting churches, working his way towards Rome. Or he can step into something that God has clearly laid out saying, this is going to be difficult. And I don't know about you, maybe some of you are at crossroads moments right now where you're trying to make a decision between one or two things. And, and I know when I'm at a crossroads moment, my mind always immediately jumps to, well, there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer, right? It's like Indiana Jones and when he has to pick the goblet to figure out which one's the holy grail and only one of them's a right choice and all the other ones are wrong. Sometimes, I know for me at the very least, that's how I interpret crossroad moments, thinking, oh, I've got to figure out which one's the right choice, which one is the one that God actually wants me to go down. But when we look at this story, there's something more going on here. See, sometimes, and this is going to challenge my predestination friends, and, and let me go ahead and say, I think God is bigger than this. This is not going to challenge his omniscience or his, his sovereignty in this. But I think sometimes God lays out crossroads for us. And he presents a good option and a better option. And he gives us the freedom to choose which one we want to go down. Now, like I said, you might be uh, uncomfortable like that if you're very big into uh, predestination, but I don't think that really challenges God's all-knowing capabilities and his sovereignty. I think he can work in that space to still give us the freedom to choose. And sometimes the better choice is not the easier choice. Sometimes it's the more difficult one. And that's kind of being what's presented to Paul right now. God's kind of saying, you can continue going on the way you've always been doing, planting churches. Or you can just step into something that's going to be really difficult, something that's going to be really painful. And you're going to have to step into this trusting that God is going to take care of you, that God has a plan, that God is capable of bringing in goodness out of any bad situation. And here's what Paul does when he's presented with this. It's kind of shocking, his response. When everyone's telling him, hey, don't choose this option over here. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. It's too painful. Here's how Paul responds in verse 13, where Paul answers to them, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, that sounds pretty crazy, right? Like God's basically saying, I want you to be very clear in what you're going to step into. And Paul's like, Yep, sign me up for some good old torturing from the people I grew up with. <laughs> like, who does that, right? Well, Paul does, because he had total confidence that no matter what he steps into next, with the future uncertain, no idea what's coming up, he knows that God's going to take care of him. That as long as he continues to trust God and try to listen to God and try to give glory and honor to God, God's going to take care of him. And so he's willing to step into even a suffering position, believing that God will somehow extend and grow his kingdom through this moment. So Paul comes to Jerusalem. And almost immediately, we're told in verse 27, that about seven days after he arrives in the town, the Jews from Asia, now let me go ahead and clarify who that is. Paul had like this evil entourage who followed him around. 
there were these Jews from Asia who everywhere Paul went, they followed behind him to basically uh, insult him, to try to destroy anything he was trying to do, right? So you might be like, man, I love to have an entourage, but you don't want to have an evil entourage who deliberately travels from town to town following you to ruin everything you're doing. That's how Paul was. So these Jews from Asia are his evil entourage. And seeing him in the temple, they stirred up the whole crowd and they laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. I mean, like they come up and they're like, now's our chance. This is the place where people just get really riled up, where the Jews are more likely to kill anyone who they think is a threat. And they're like, we're going to stir up this crowd. And so they come and they shout out all these accusations about Paul and they grab him. And we're told in verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut, right? Now, you want to read that and you almost want to think, Paul, you chose poorly, right? But remember, the God we worship and the God we study week after week is a God who can take any bad situation and bring good out of it. Where the moment where you think, man, the story's over, there's nothing good that's going to come from this, that is the moment when God oftentimes acts. So before we jump to that conclusion, let's just wait to see what God does throughout this story, right? And so, In this moment, Paul, he's just come into the temple to worship. He gets grabbed by his own people. He gets dragged, kicking and screaming out of the temple. They're ready to kill him. They're thinking, now we've got him. Now his defense is down. Now we have all the support of the people. We're going to kill him. And they pick up stones ready to beat him to death. And ironically, it's the Roman soldiers who come to his rescue. There's this patrol that's going by and they see this chaos and they, they charge in, they beat back the crowd, they find Paul and they, they're thinking, man, we've got we to stop this madness. We can't let just someone get killed in the streets. So they, they take Paul, they arrest him, they throw him in their own jail to protect him as they fight back this mob who are trying to fight to get to Paul. I mean, imagine being that where you're so adamant about preaching the gospel that a mob forms trying to kill you and you have to have armed guards to protect you, right? Like that's where Paul's at. And so by the time the Romans clear out the enemy or the mob, I mean, and they settle the crowd, they're thinking, man, we've got this guy now arrested. Maybe he's a criminal. Maybe he did something really bad to upset these these Jews. So they start throwing him through trials. And at every trial, Paul gets declared innocent. But he's not released. Instead, the Jews, they petition again that he's guilty. So they start another trial. And one after another keeps going on by where he has to sit through all these trials and hear everyone arguing, saying, he's guilty, he needs to be killed. And Paul defends himself and he's found innocent because he hasn't really done anything wrong. And it gets so frustrating that Paul at one point is like, guys, I'm done. I don't want to have these conversations anymore. I am a Roman. I want my case to be seen by Caesar. Because that was his right as a Roman citizen, where he can petition for his case to be heard by Caesar, the guy who was ruling the Roman Empire, right? And so that's what they do. They put him on a ship, they sail him away, and we think the story's over, but it's really not. Because even on the journey, his ship wrecks, he's marooned on an island for a long time. You're like, man, this guy is in a difficult situation. He even gets bit by deadly vipers while he's on the island. This guy cannot catch a break. But eventually, in time, they do bring him to Rome. And he's brought into chains. And it's rather unique. Because remember, his plan is he wants to get to Rome. And he wants to be able to preach about Jesus in this place. But he's arrived, but not in the way he planned. He doesn't arrive in freedom. 
he arrives in chains. He does not have the freedom to go anywhere he wants in the city and do all that he wants to do in Rome. Rather, instead, he's under house arrest. And this looks like a failure. But God works through this in a powerful way. And we're told in chapter 28, towards the end of the book of Acts, that he starts gathering together all these Jews and Gentiles. He's basically sending out flyers in the mail to anyone he can. He says, hey, come to my house. I've got some really life-changing news that you've got to hear. So he draws this crowd, and we're told in chapter 28, verse 23, it says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them. That means he preached. Right, which I think is just funny, right? If I preach for longer than 45 minutes, people might get upset and like, man, we got to get to McAllister's, we got to get McDonald's, right? right? And he preached from morning until evening, okay? And so he preaches from morning till evening. He expounds to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. You read this and you're like, wow, this guy cannot be stopped. No matter what situation they put him in, he's at him. He's like, yeah, I might be in this terrible situation, but I'm going to use this situation to bring fame and glory to the name of Jesus, no matter what situation I'm in, right? It's awesome. And he goes around preaching. And if you think about it, we can be grateful for this because this better situation did not feel better, but we benefited from it. Because Paul stopped traveling around, it forced him to sit. And what does he do? He grabs a pen and paper and he starts writing. And he writes these letters that have become part of our New Testament, like the book of Ephesians and the book of Philippians. I mean, he takes a bad situation and he uses it to still bless others. And then we're told in the final verses of the book of Acts, it says he lived there, this is Rome, he lived there for two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It's beautiful. Where here he is, he sits on the doorstep of Caesar's throne. Caesar, who rules the known world from this position. And Paul's sitting there in chains at the foot of the gate, proclaiming that the real king of the universe is Jesus. And the story just kind of ends there. And it's really annoying if you think about it. Because we're not told what happens to him. We're not told what happens when he finally sees Caesar. We're not told what happens next in the book. And that's the point. You see, Luke, who's the writer of the book of Acts, ends it in such a way because he wants us to see ourselves as the next chapter. I said this when we began the book of Acts, that he has arranged us in such a way so that we would see ourselves as players in the story. So that we don't just read this and be like, oh, that's really nice. But we read it with like the brakes have suddenly been hit and the keys are handed to us. And Luke is saying, here's the pen. You write the next story. And that's really the point. Because Jesus has this big goal in mind and this big plan like we looked at in the very beginning of this message. That he has a plan to reach the ends of the earth. And now he's doing that in some ways in Rome. And it's to encourage us to see that Jesus continues. He continues to reach the ends of the earth through us. Jesus continues to reach the ends of the earth through us. And my friends, that should like stun you. That should bring you to a sense of awe. 
I mean, think about the God that we've been studying for months now. This is a God who is relentless. This is a God who is a fighter. This is a God who is strong. This is a God who is faithful. We have seen him do remarkable things over and over and over again. And then he comes to Jesus and we see a very clear picture of who this God is. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He's a God of service. And you watch this story and you're like, wow, look at this God. And then we come to the point where he's like, okay, now I'm going to entrust you to carry this story forward. Think about that. You might be sitting there thinking, I am too small, I am too weak, I am too insignificant. And the God of the universe, the one we've been studying about, the one who you should be in awe of, and if you're not, then there's a pride problem, there's a sin problem. This God wants to continue reaching the ends of the earth. He wants to continue his story through you. That's amazing. Can, yeah, get some amens over that, please. That should stun you that this God would trust us. That this God would look at us when we have so oftentimes we have our own plans and we should see that God's plan for us is far bigger than any plan we have for ourselves. I mean, look at the disciples. When Jesus first tells them, hey, I'm going to send you out into the world, their first thought was, are you going to save Israel? And he's like, no, 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 I have bigger plans. I'm going to save all humanity right? Because Jesus' plans for us is far bigger than any plan we have for ourselves. Paul reminds us of that when he's in prison, when he's in chains, when he's awaiting his own execution. He tells us in the book of Philippians, he writes these very encouraging words. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him. He's talking about Jesus. He's highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This story is still playing out in your life and in mine. Peter says something very similar. Peter, who was the leader of the early church, the big kahuna, right after Jesus, he's leading this movement. He writes these encouraging words in his letter. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God patient? Because he's still telling his story through you. We worship a God who wants to take his story and combine it with your story. Because this God's not finished working in this world. He is continuing to reach the ends of the earth through you. Through what you do day in and day out. Through you being in the hospitals and the schools and the business that you work in. Through you being the family that you're part of and the friendships that you surround yourself with. Through your character through the way you spend your time. This God is continuing to reach the ends of the earth through you. He's continuing to bring hope and love and grace and mercy through you. How awesome it is to see the God who wants to bring a family together and then entrust us with the keys. He entrusts us with the keys. That should stun you. So you should read this story and you should be like, Tim, Tim, God has entrusted you with the keys to continue extending his story. He should be like, Felicia, God has entrusted you with the keys to continue reaching the ends of the earth to continue spreading his story. Gene, God has given, entrusted you with the keys to continue spreading his goodness, his fame, and his glory. God, Caleb, God has entrusted you with the keys to continue spreading the goodness of his name and how much he loves others. 
God has entrusted us with so much. Stop looking at yourself as insignificant. Stop looking at yourself as I have nothing good to offer. Stop looking at yourself as, well, I can't do what other people can. God has put you where you are to do something extraordinary, to reach someone that only you can reach. This God entrusts you. That's awesome. That's, that brings tears to my eyes. Because so oftentimes I look at myself and God, I, I'm thinking, God, I'm too weak. God, I'm too broken. God, I can't carry on the next chapter of your name. And maybe you're the same way. But we worship a God of the impossible. We worship a God who will not stop. So wherever you are, wherever you are, I want to encourage you to see yourself as the hands and feet of Jesus. That you have the responsibility to someone to show them what Jesus is like. To show them how much he loves them. The share of his goodness that in the darkest moments of life, there is a king on his throne who is still in charge. Who's still making this world more and more of his own. That's the joy that we get to have. As we start to bring this series to an end, and next week we will be bringing it to an end, I want you to walk away with that feeling that this story, this God we've looked at, who has been through thick and thin to be in the room with us, wants to use us to extend the glory of his name. So it matters that we lead with irrational generosity. It matters that we take every opportunity to serve. It matters that we seek to show the love of Jesus in places and for those who do not feel like they're loved by God. It matters. And when we say yes to Jesus, he does these amazing things. And yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, it's difficult. Does it put us into situations we wish we weren't in? You betcha. (laughs) But it's in those moments like we looked at last week, that in the uncomfortable moments, God continues to tell his story through us. That's wonderful. And all it takes is us to be willing to say, Jesus, here I am, send me. Jesus, I say yes to you. Won't you pray with me? Father, you carried your story forward so powerfully through the life of Paul. He said yes to you, and you did remarkable things through him. And because he said yes to you, others came after him who were part of this movement. And so, Father, I see that Paul was one chapter, and we are the next chapter. That you are continuing to reach this community, you're continuing to reach this state, this country, this world, through believers who continue to say yes to you. And Father, let me be one of the first in this room to say it. And it's scary, and it's uncomfortable. You stretch us, you oftentimes use us in our weaknesses rather than in our strengths, Father. But you are worth any price. You are worth that discomfort sometimes. You are worth that suffering. You are worth that that pain. If it means that someone else gets to hear of the goodness of Jesus. And so, Father, may we be found just like Paul. With all boldness proclaiming that the Lord Jesus is King. May we live to make his name famous. May we live to be who we are meant to be. For you have called us into a great purpose. And we want to be found faithful in this moment. 
And so now as we stop to sing of the glory of the light that has come, may you open our lips and fill us with the Holy Spirit to proclaim how good you are. It's in your name I pray. Amen.